0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Now, there is a scandal around our own Minister for Finance, or at least our former Minister for Finance, Pascal Dunhu, He has been, I think, probably our best ever Minister for Finance. He is known for his integrity. But in the 2016 election and maybe in the 2020 election as well, he may have gone over the limit of donations by maybe... Two or three hundred euros, or so maybe a little bit more than that. But he is, his career is on the line. But it makes a stark contrast with London, where a former Chancellor of the Exchequer appointed by Boris Johnson, Nadine Zahawi, has had to pay the revenue five million. A chunk of that, believed to be about one and a half million, is a fine for breaking the rules. It's massive, and it's not the only scandal in London at the moment. Besetting the Tory party, there's another one. Boris Johnson is back on the scene to discuss all of this. we're joined now by Chris Johns. Chris is former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator. Chris, you're in London, but you've lived here for a long time, and you are acquainted with the Pascal Donoghue case. I think it's a very strange pylon, if you like, against a man of integrity who appears to have overlooked what are really small amounts of money, maybe maybe two hundred euros, maybe a thousand euros, but it's small beer, compared to London. What what strikes you about this,
1: Chris? Well it is a tale of two ex finance ministers, now that Pascal Donahue has moved on from that precise role. And the, the, the comparisons, it um, doesn't bear comparing, really, does it, Eamon? Because, no. as you say, the amounts are not material. In the case of the sums that you're mentioning there for Mr. Donahue. I don't know him personally. I have actually shaken hands with him a couple of times and heard him speak and followed his career. And as you say, he has been an absolutely fantastic finance minister. And of all of the politicians in Ireland that one might begin to discuss, he certainly would be up there near the top of my list, of a man of integrity. So that would be my own personal judgment. And that, as the Americans would say, the, the Pascal Donoghue affair is a nothing burger. Yes. And it, it, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans, to, 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 to mix metaphors. Um, but Zahawi is a different kettle of fish. The sum of money involved is £5 million, pounds, which is a settlement with the UK's equivalent of the Revenue Commissioners, HMRC, His Majesty's um, Revenue and Customs. Uh, th- there was a fine involved. Um, that's usually 30% of the settlement amount. And the one of the many issues around this settlement is when it actually took place and who did Zahawi tell. Um, when did the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, know about all of this? When he tried, for example, last week to say that the matter, or to draw a line under the matter really, to say that it was closed, they're now saying that he didn't know about the fine. All the usual he said, she said stuff is going on.
0: Yeah, I should say, sorry to interrupt you, that uh, Nadhim Zahawi was appointed Chancellor of the Exchequer by Boris Johnson. And it was during his his spell, a two-month spell, I think, as Chancellor, that he settled this matter. At the moment, he is in the cabinet. He is chairman of the Tory party.
1: That's right. And as such, he will be expected to take the lead on all of the morning TV and radio shows that politicians here in the UK generally do most days, on the whatever the latest issue is. And he'll also be expected to lead the Conservative Party into the spring local council elections that are coming up, uh, which are going to be very important because the Conservatives are, of course, expected to do very badly and a lot of Conservative MPs on that one issue alone, the leadership of the party going into important local elections. Is Zahawi the right man, given all that we know? But there are lots of other questions being asked about Zahawi. He's a very interesting man. He he came to the UK at an uncertain age. One of the many things that we don't really know about Zahawi is the age at which he came. We think it was 11. Various Uh, publications written by himself or friends and family of his have put it at 9, 10, 11, and 12. So it starts with a young man coming from um, Iraq, um, from a Kurdish background, uh, didn't speak English, and then built a successful business career. After a few false starts, it has to be said, one of the things that Mr. Zahawi was accused of Quite some time ago, by the Sunday Times, um, and uh, as an ex-footballer, you'd be interested in this, uh, Eamon, He was accused, which he denied, of selling unauthorized Arsenal kit to Tesco. <laughs> you yeah. know, one of his—he he became involved in the oil fields in Iraq following the Iraq War. He, he's, um, but his most successful business venture was the formation of something called YouGov. Yes, which was an opinion polling company. And it was the sale of shares in YouGov that has generated this tax controversy. The shares were originally lodged to a trust fund, we think, in Gibraltar. And a lot of these shares, if not all of them, were in the name of his father, not him. Some of the details are a little opaque. But some forensic accountants have been on this case for quite some time. And one of the more distasteful aspects of this is that as details of this began to be uncovered by these forensic accountants, uh, various lawyers got involved, sending out what are called in the UK slap letters, which essentially um, mischievous uh, letters trying to d- uh, deter people from continuing with their investigations for the because they are being threatened with all sorts of things, not least libel and defamation lawsuits. Yes, um, and so it, it's come to pass that yes, uh, there were there was a settlement. The Revenue did say that Mr. Zahawi didn't pay the right amount of tax on the sale of these shares in YouGov, and he was fined for not doing so. He has described the mistake that he made as careless rather than deliberate. Much seems to hang on that interpretation of events. But, you know, it's a bit like long COVID, this, uh, Eamon, in the sense that this is a a legacy of the Johnsonian disease with with, with lots of symptoms recurring. And you, you might remember that you and I discussed Another scandal, one of many during Johnson's tenure, which was being investigated by somebody called Sue Gray. Yes. And the mantra during that time of all of the Tory party was wait for the Sue Gray report. Now we're being told to wait for the Ethics Commissioner report. It's a reprise of a a disease that the Tory party clearly has got for the long haul.
0: We are recording this on Wednesday morning before Prime Minister's questions. Rishi Sunak will have to go before the Commons, and he's expected to get a hard time over Zahawi and his position as chairman of the Tory party, but also he will have to answer the question, when did you find out about Mr. Zahawi's difficulties? And of course, alongside that, there are two more scandals involving Boris Johnson, which have surfaced in the last few days. One of them. Concerns the appointment of Richard Sharp to be chairman of the BBC. That's a couple of years ago. That appointment was made by Nadine Doris when she was Culture Secretary, and Richard Sharp had attended a meeting with Boris Johnson and a distant cousin of Boris Johnson, in which Johnsons and Sharp solicited an eight hundred thousand pounds loan for Boris Johnson when he was Prime Minister, because he couldn't live on his Prime Minister's salary. So, £800,000 loan was agreed, and lo and behold, Richard Sharp is appointed chairman of the BBC. That might be a coincidence or not.
1: Yes, and we have another waiting for Godot, waiting for Sue Gray. This time we're waiting for Whitehall's appointments commissioner, is now going to investigate the Richard Sharp. Appointment. So we're going to have two parallel investigations going on into two separate appointments. Um, there's a Harway story, and now the Richard Sharp story. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned Richard Sharp's donation to the Tory Party itself with his no, own money prior to his appointment. Again, we will uh, charitably assume it was pure coincidence that this donation was followed by being made chairman of the BBC. I'd also refer you to something that Emily Maitlis, who you might recall was yes. one of the lead presenters, journalists on Newsnight until she jumped ship for um, essentially her own podcast last summer. And in a lecture, a very prominent lecture that she gave here in the UK last summer, she described an unnamed uh, Tory enforcer being put into uh, the B- a position of power in the BBC. And uh, there are dots being joined now,
0: Uh, Yeah, and Richard Sharp is a long-term friend of Boris Johnson, going back to when Johnson was mayor of London.
1: That's right. Um, And uh, the the, the amount of money he donated is is reported in today's Times, for example, as being £400,000 at around the same time that he was applying for the chairmanship of the BBC. So, as I say, there are dots being joined here all over the place.
0: Now, Chris... Sleaze is a word that is associated with Tory governments in the past. John Major's government, although John Major himself wasn't involved as far as I can recall, but Sleaze brought them down. This Johnson-Tory amalgamation, he's still going to, he went to U- Ukraine on Sunday, and maybe to take the attention away from, Richard Sharp and the BBC stuff, or maybe to show that he still had a political future and that he's going to go back to Downing Street triumphantly, as he hinted in his resignation speech. But Johnson has also received a £1 million donation, political donation. We don't know, at least I don't know, where that came from. So after all the scandal around parties and lying to the commons, which is still not proved or disproved. Johnson is back in the game. Oh, yeah, big time. And in all of this, I want to ask you about Rishi Sunak because he's the prime minister. At the weekend, he spoke to Leo who's now Taoiseach here now, after the change in government arrangements. And they talked about the North. and. Both men expressed some optimism. I don't know if Sunak could deliver what the EU and the Irish government want, and it's the EU who are leading this,
1: because he looks so weak. Absolutely. And this is the fundamental problem that Ireland has, not not East Ireland, that can Sunak deliver this lunatic fringe of the Conservative Party, or at least get a measure through the House of Commons uh, despite the protestations and indeed the votes of this European research yeah. group and people like that. Don't forget that Keir Starmer has somewhat mischievously <laughs> promised, uh, Sunak Labour votes to get a deal through, which of course, um, uh, looks good, looks, uh, favorably on pr- promoting the peace process in Northern Ireland, promoting a more harmonious relationship with the EU, makes Keir Starmer look a bit statesmanlike. But of course, he's simply turning the knife into the wound that is the split Tory Party over this very issue. So the thought that, that uh, Sunak would get whatever deal he is going to do with Veradka in the EU through the House of Commons, only with Keir Starmer's Labour supporting votes, uh, that's quite a quite an interesting scenario that um, yeah. I doubt very much is going to come to pass. But it, nobody really knows how he's going to get this past these um lunatics of which there are many on on his back benches. because when he took office he told his mps unite or die those were his words and it was a very formid- forbidding statement and you'd have thought that they would have listened because you know if you think about it if you do not unite this party is toast is what he was saying to them and it has had no effect whatsoever i mean wh- what we political anoraks do is just count the number of u-turns count the number of rebellions on things like housing targets, wind farms, online safety regulations, all these other things that uh, don't make the headlines in the way that the Northern Ireland Protocol or Nadim Zahawi do. But on everything, Sunak is U-turning, is having to appease this wing, this faction, and the Northern Ireland Protocol is the big one.
0: And the Northern Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, is a member of that European research group. He's a hardliner. So we're dealing here with, very right-wing, worst of, I wouldn't even call them. They're not really Tories, are they?
1: No, they're not. Um, They're an ungovernable uh, bunch of toddlers, really. Um, And it's it's relatively new because if you go back to the David Cameron era, which wasn't that long ago, um, the Conservatives still had a, a very strong reputation for ruthless loyalty to their leader. And I think it was probably Brexit more than anything else, but a few other things as well. Those internecine warfares that we conducted and we still are engaged in to the present day uh i think have led to this this state of affairs where it's not just rishi sunak that is faced with an ungovernable party boris johnson was as well boris johnson you might recall had an 80 seat majority and yet on so many different issues from hs2 to badger culling to workers' rights, all sorts of different free school meals, the Marcus Rashford issue. Yes. And he had to retreat to, to and, and in the face of a rebellion from one faction or another of his MPs. So uh, this tradition of rebelling and fighting and internecine warfare just continues to the present day. And the conclusion that many commentators, not just myself, are reaching is that this party is fundamentally broken because yes. it is ungovernable. And that if you gave Rishi Sunak if he won, and this is a question I think a political analyst from the New Statesman suggested only this morning was that if Sunak won another 80 seat majority for the Tories in the next general election, is there any evidence that this internecine warfare would end? no, there isn't these, yeah. these people these people have lost the plot and now they are not actually uh, anything resembling a united uh, political party.
0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host
1: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times
0: to Kyiv at the weekend, a very highly publicized media accompanying him. And of course, he's very popular with the Ukrainians because for all that he is in many ways, a spiv and a clown. When it came to the Russian invasion and Putin's invasion of Ukraine, Britain, under his leadership, were quick out of the traps with support, arms and money. And one has to attribute that, I think, to Johnson.
1: Yes, there, there, and there's several things to say about that. The first one that I, and indeed many people like me, said that is that any British prime minister would have done exactly the same, given Britain's history of, of these sorts of things. And uh, we would, I, I can't see any of from any political party. Um it wasn't a Johnsonian thing. it was actually a British thing. Mm. Um, hard to prove um thankfully, we don't have too many more more wars to compare ourselves with. The second thing I'd say is that this idea that Britain has been in the lead of uh, giving arms to um Ukraine, obviously behind the Americans, they're well out in front, and that countries like Germany have been the laggards. you know yes. there's been this controversy. Over Leopard two tanks, Abrams tanks, Challenger which tanks, is, and all that. Looks stuff. like it's, it looks looks like like it's like it settled. Yeah, yes. in a very interesting way. Yeah. But if, if if you, I was reading something produced by Bloomberg Research the other day, in which they had actually added up the amount of military kit. So this is military assistance now, not humanitarian, but actual hardware, bullets, guns, missiles, and all the rest of it. And of course, the Americans are out in front. Germany, for all its stick that it's taken over this Leopard 2 tank issue, is second in that league table. They provided more than the British. So right. um, there, there are nuances, there are subtleties here. You know, Johnson has played, and the British in general, have played a very strong game here in both sending arms and encouraging the international community to do so, and Germany has taken stick. Some of that is fair, some of that is unfair on both sides. So, so I think it's important to get the facts straight. Um But yeah, and Johnson knows how well walking up and down the streets of Kiev plays, both um, internationally and particularly domestically. It makes him look Churchillian, quite frankly. At least that's how he sees it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is how he sees it. And Churchill is his hero. He's written a book about Churchill. And he may well write another book about Churchill. The other point is that he may well become Prime Minister and leader of the Tory party. Again, my argument would be. He hates Sunak, because Sunak, who was Chancellor, resigned, and that was the nail in Johnson's coffin. Well, you can question that if you like. I'd be very interested in your view of that. But he then supported Liz Truss to be Prime Minister, which he must have known would be car crash territory, and and it was. So what are they to do? Only turn back to Boris. And one thing we do know is that he's on manoeuvres, going to Kiev, getting a one million pound fund together from one donor for his political activity. We do know that he's planning to come back. And we do know that the Tory leadership will have him back. And finally, Chris, I put it to you and I'm very interested, I'm in talking too much, we do know that... Labour are twenty-two points ahead, and the only conceivable person who can reverse that and win the next election for the Tories is Boris Johnson. I, I'd like to hear your view on
1: that. I don't. Well, I don't think even he is capable of, of rescuing the party in the time available to him. the The next general election, I think it was actually yesterday, uh, is is the is the uh, date from which we have two years in which to hold the next general. The absolute last date that the next British mm. election can be held is two, two years from yesterday. It will be earlier than that. I wouldn't rule out it being this year, actually, given the way that the Tory party is, is behaving, that, in the ways that I just described. Sunak is blamed by Johnson for his demise. There's, a, there's something in that, and yet it's a little unfair. The way I would put it was, is the other way, is that Sunak took far too long to stand up to Johnson. And there are lots of different examples and ways in which I could illustrate that, but I'll use one, which was Johnson's attempt to smear Keir Starmer with blame for the Jimmy Savile affair, which Johnson subsequently uh, half-heartedly retracted.
0: Yeah, we should say that Keir Starmer... Was the director of public prosecutions in Britain? Yeah.
1: Like- so S- Sunak, when eventually he was tracked down by a journalist because he went into hiding after Johnson made that absolutely disgraceful uh, quasi-allegation about Keir Starmer when he was director of public prosecutions, Starmer was asked—sorry, uh, Sunak was asked—about this this Johnsonian latest uh, disgraceful event, and all he could say, which was. Uh, you know, very weak, very weasley, was, I wouldn't have said that. There, There were moments when, if Sunak was to demonstrate strength, character, backbone, that was one of many that he could have chosen to say, enough already.
0: Yes, because Johnson said that, I'd leave his questions in the comments. I remember distinctly seeing it, and it really was disgusting and untrue, of course.
1: Yes, and so Sunak, I think, revealed himself back then to be quite a weak character. Um, and I think that's continued now into his leadership as prime minister. And the way he has handled the Z- Zahawi affair, given that Sunak promised on the steps of Downing Street on the day that he became prime minister to retraw- restore trust and integrity to British politics, uh, the right way to do that would have been to have sacked Zahawi uh, yesterday, quite frankly. yes, And yep. really do do Sunak himself and the country a favor, but Sunak himself now faces, as we were saying just now at the time of this recording, a very tricky prime minister's questions, which if he'd sacked uh, Zahawe already, uh, he, he, w- he wouldn't be. So I think he's created a rod for his own back, and I think that he is demonstrating himself to be that weak character that you and I have long suspected. Um, and it's, so it's same old, same old for, for the British political system, the Tory party in particular.
0: Now, there has been talk, as I said earlier in our conversation, Chris, about the European Union and Britain getting a bit closer to each other, wanting to stop the fighting and just some way make the regime work for both parties. But the Northern Ireland Protocol is the sticking point, and it's a big one. There's no way, is there, that Rishi Sunak can deliver the European Research Group. In other words, there's no way he can face down the DUP who are not going to go into any Northern Ireland Assembly until the Northern Ireland Protocol is torn up. So what's to happen there?
1: Well, he has to find a a vehicle, a method to face these people down. I don't think, if, if the DUP are going to refuse to go back into Stormont unless the NIP is torn up, then they've said it. Th- that's what they said. If they if they remain true to their word, then we ain't going to get power sharing restored, are we?
0: No, um, but that's a disaster potentially for Ireland if we. It is if if it heads on down this line. Yeah, we're back to hard borders on this
1: island. The only way he can get it through the House of Commons because the DUP votes don't matter nearly as much quantitatively, of course, as the, those hundred and twenty or so ERG members. Or they
0: did when Theresa May when they held the balance of power.
1: That's right. Uh, he yes. has this 80-seat majority bequeathed to him by Boris Johnson, but he, c- he c- couldn't withstand an ERG revolt. So he, there are a number of things that suggest themselves. First, the one I talked about earlier on, he uses Keir Starmer's offer of Labour Party votes. I don't know m- how much longer Sunak would survive as leader of the Conservative Party if he did that. Um, he could um, find some lever to threaten the ERG with. Because if there was an election today, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg would lose their seats. So he could yes. threaten them with an early general election. So would Boris Johnson, is so it It's absolutely. only
0: 7,000. Oxbridge is his seat, I believe.
1: Yes, if these local opinion polls are anything to go by, lots of these people, very prominent people, as I say, Jacob Rees-Mogg is, is, is prominent amongst them, would lose their seats. So that would be a pretty powerful threat that he could make to them. So back me or sack me would be um, the way in which he would do it, in which this, Tory- this party could not withstand yet another change of leader right. within this parliament. And so the only way to resolve this is to go to the country and have a general election later this year. That might scare them because they might want uh, to keep their jobs, um, to up their pension entitlements for as long as possible in the hope that something would turn up. The calculation might be that, okay, Sunak, like you have us now. But just before the next general election, perhaps in just under two years' time now, that's when we will get you. And just before the election, we will replace you with Johnson. All of these sorts of machinations and, quite frankly, ridiculous-sounding uh, theories will be go- will be doing the rounds. But it, it, it's a high-stakes game. And my best guess at this stage, Eamon, is that this, this lot are so unruly, ungovernable, The Sunak is going to have to threaten them with a general election. And he may well have to call one this year.
0: A final question, Chris, about the succession of scandals and the sleaze, kickbacks, not paying your taxes, giving your friends large contracts during the COVID crisis for protective clothing, all of that stuff. It's endemic in the Tory party now,
1: is it? Well, it is, absolutely. And again, there are so many different ways that we could talk about that in terms of the history of the party, in terms of the money, the financing. And uh, I draw your attention to something called a 10 minute rule bill, which is one of the ways, the anachronistic ways British MPs are allowed to make a noise about something in the House of Commons without ever actually passing a, an actual bill. Somebody called Bob Seeley, who's the Conservative member for the Isle of Wight, stood up in the House of Commons yesterday and had a right old go at the London legal community he named law firms i won't do it here wow. for fear of being <laughs> no, sued no. by them <laughs> um, he na- he named the london law firms that he says are essentially acting still to the present day for russian oligarchs right and the the money that and is they are. the money that is still flowing through london from these right. characters close to putin through these blue chip uh, you know um, steel and glass towers in the city of london and he named them behind parliamentary wow. privilege wow. And, they, and you know one maybe it will do them some damage, maybe it won't but the, the the way in which money has corrupted British politics, the way in which Russian money in particular flows through London still and this I've just given you an example of somebody who thinks it is still flowing you know it's a real real problem um, and you know we somebody one day is going to have to clean the stables
0: okay, Chris as always a uh, pleasure. To have you as a guest, thank you very much for joining us. We're very grateful to Chris, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's the sound of
0: another sale on Shopify in store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23.